Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Film Etc., the only movie review podcast you need in life. My name is Mike Webb. I'll be your host. And we recently came up with an Instagram page. So go over to @filmetccast on Instagram and follow us there. If you guys are new to the show, basically I review the new releases of the week and grade them on a scale of 0 to 10 based upon my personal opinion and mine alone. So it's okay if you disagree with me. This week, though, we have a big stack of new releases. We have the new movie musical In the Heights. We have the new sci-fi action film Infinite, the new animated film Witch Dragon, the new indie drama Holler, and the long-lost horror film from the late George A. Romero called The Amusement Park. So without further ado, let's get started. I do have to warn you guys, and I do apologize in advance. I am autistic. I don't do well in conversation or with words in general. So you may hear my words jumble up a bit here and there. But without further ado, thank you all for listening to this week's episode. In the Heights is the film adaptation of the award-winning Broadway musical of the same name by Lin-Manuel Miranda. It is directed by John M. Chu, who's best known for directing two of the Step Up movies, two Justin Bieber concert films, the sequels to G.I. Joe and Now You See Me, and the 2018 rom-com smash hit Crazy Rich Asians. In the Heights centers on a variety of characters living in the neighborhood of Washington Heights, which is on the northern tip of Manhattan. At the center is Usnavi, played by Anthony Ramos, a bodega owner who pines for Vanessa, played by Melissa Barrera, working in the neighborhood beauty salon. Usnavi also dreams of winning the lottery and escaping to the shores of his native Dominican Republic. Meanwhile, Nina, played by Leslie Grace, a childhood friend of Usnavi, has returned to the neighborhood from her first year at college with surprising news for her father, Kevin, played by Jimmy Smits, who has spent his life savings on building a better life for his daughter. Ultimately, Usnavi and the residents of this close-knit neighborhood get a dose of what it means to be home. The film also stars Corey Hawkins as Benny, a co-worker of Kevin's, Olga Meredith, who reprises her role from the Broadway production as Abuela Claudia, the matriarch of the neighborhood, Gregory Diaz IV as Sonny, Usnavi's cousin, as well as Daphne Ruben Vega, Stephanie Beatrice, and Dasha Polanco, who work in the beauty salon with Vanessa, and in very small roles, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Mark Anthony. I will say this off the bat. In the Heights is the best movie musical to come out since the one-two punch of both Sing Street and La La Land back in 2016. I mean, 2016 also did give us Moana, which Lin-Manuel Miranda did the songs for, but I would consider that more of an animated film than a musical film overall. But the music of Lin-Manuel Miranda is an instant earworm, whether you think of Stephen Sondheim or Andrew Lloyd Webber. Even though Hamilton may have put Lin-Manuel Miranda into household name status, this one here is a showstopper. Like Crazy Rich Asians, which showcases in Asian culture, this one shows a uh, Latinx or Central American or Latin American culture that we rarely see in film nowadays. There are all these characters that have their own completely different backgrounds. They are fully fleshed out. They're not one-dimensional. They don't need a scene that just like self-explains everything about them. Like, if you try doing that, that's just poor character development overall. The cast is terrific from Anthony Ramos. I didn't know Corey Hawkins can sing. He is really good in it. I really like both 
Melissa Barrera and Leslie Grace. Those are star-making terms right there. But the one I think stands out to me the most is Olga Meredith as Abuela Claudia. Like that is like an Oscar-worthy uh, caliber level of acting right there. Her musical number alone is like a standout. It is flawlessly directed by John M. Chu. He brings a movie that is very fun and vibrant throughout. All the musical numbers stand out from the opening to, I mentioned, uh, Abuela Claudia's number, to a number in the pool, to a number where two characters like walk on the side of an apartment complex where it has this magical realism to it. I also want to give credit to the writer who also wrote uh, the musical as well, Kiara Alegria Hudez. That would be worthy of an adapted screenplay Oscar nomination right there. It is over two hours long, but it's never dull. It is perfectly paced. I was never bored. I had a fun time. I do have a couple small little nitpicks, but it's a little hard to explain. There are a couple small characters that don't get enough screen time, and they're not as fully fleshed out as the other main and supporting characters in the film, but I can see all of those being overlooked upon multiple viewings. Like I mentioned, Mark Anthony has a small role. He only has like a couple lines and that's basically it. Guys, see this movie on the big screen. I saw this in IMAX and it was the best experience just to be in a communal environment with everyone who was watching this movie, as was I. We were all smiling with glee. Do not wait for it at home. It is streaming on HBO Max, but I would not recommend it. Take a bunch of people out to the movie theater. You all are going to have a very fun time. You can even like book a private watch party and you still will be pleased and got your money's worth. Please see In the Heights. It is one of the best movies of the year, and that is coming from my mouth. And those are my thoughts on In the Heights. And now from one of the best movies of the year to one of the worst movies of the year, let's talk about Infinite. It stars Mark Wahlberg as Evan McCauley, who possesses skills he never learned and memories of places he has never visited, which haunt his daily life. Self-medicated and on the brink of a mental breakdown, Evan is sought by a secret group that calls themselves Infinite, revealing to him that his memories may be real, but they are from multiple past lives. The Infinites bring Evan into their extraordinary world where a gifted few are given the ability to be reborn with their memories and knowledge accumulated over centuries. With critical secrets buried in his past, Evan must work with the Infinites to unlock the answers in his memories in a race against time to save humanity from one of their own, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, who seeks to end all life to stop what he views as the cursed, endless cycle of reincarnation. The film also stars Sophie Cookson, Jason Mansukas, Rupert Friend, Toby Jones, and Dylan O'Brien. Antoine Fuqua has previously directed Mark Wahlberg in the 2007 movie Shooter, which I got to watch very recently for the first time, where he is convicted of an assassination attempt, and he goes on the run for it. It has a really interesting cast. It also has an early role from Michael Pena, back when he was more of a dramatic actor, it also has Kate Mora, Danny Glover, and as of this recording, the late Ned Betty. He passed away yesterday in his sleep. But Shooter is a good movie. I wouldn't say it's like great by all means, but it's still an enjoyably entertaining movie. This movie, Infinite, is not good. This movie is soulless, convoluted, sluggishly paced, 
and completely dull. It borrows so much from other sci-fi movies that it doesn't even feel new and exciting. The acting is atrocious. It's poorly scripted. It has eye-gouging VFX that I just could not stand. Chris Evans was originally cast to play the Mark Wahlberg role. I'm glad he dropped out because Mark Wahlberg throughout this movie has this ridiculous expression of uncertainty and he just like makes this face of like is this really happening it's also insanely violent for a pg-13 movie the action sequences are so ridiculous it's not even as on the same level as the fast and the furious movies in fact one of the earliest sequences in the film is ripping off fast five that's how much this movie is unoriginal. Chiwetel Ejiofor is playing this ruthless villain that's way beyond calling him other than a stereotype. And despite whatever this character believes in general, this, due to the poor script and nature of it all, he does bring out some good charisma to his character. There is a scene where he is torturing Toby Jones's character with a jar of honey down his throat, trying to get information out of him. And then he just acts the hell out of it. Actually, both him and Toby Jones. It's a ridiculous scene. There are reasons. Uh, there are like weapons and stuff that are in this movie that aren't explained that much. There's also another scene in the film where the main girl is in a forest who's being targeted by drones and they're shooting missiles and stuff at her and there's probably like a fire left over or something. But then we cut to another scene where she is running through the forest completely clean and then there's a group of men trying to shoot her down with all these bullets. She goes the way back where she came from and there's no fire. Like, not only this movie breaks the laws of physics horribly, but it also makes no logistical sense whatsoever. A lot of people are comparing this movie to The Matrix. I, I would say this is more like a movie that's like ripping off either, I don't know, Gemini Man with Will Smith or The Old Guard, which is a really good movie if you haven't checked it out. It's on Netflix. It stars Charlize Theron, and it's about these like, group of people who just like cannot be killed whatsoever and they have these like healing powers kind of like wolverine which oddly enough the movie also stars chivatel Ejiofor, but and i'll give a brief spoiler if you want to skip ahead like 15 seconds at at first you think he's a villain but in actuality he is not the villain and ends up being playing like a red herring character anyway here's what i kind of liked about the movie even though it's not good at all i mentioned edge of four does have some charisma to his character also jason mansukas knows what movie he's in even though it's poorly scripted he basically just steals the movie for me he's probably in like 10 minutes in the movie overall but we like when we first see him he's in like this lab and he basically wants to uh uh put Mark Wahlberg's character in like a drowning simulator just to get the memories out. There's a MacGuffin involved and it's not very useful to say the least. Oh man, you guys, this was a huge disappointment. It, it had this like interesting premise, but obviously it just went to waste. This is probably one of the worst movies of the year. I wouldn't be that surprised if it ends up on my top 10 worst of list come December. Anyway, guys, those are my thoughts on Infinite. And now let's get to Wish Dragon.
Wish Dragon is the latest film from Sony Pictures Animation. It is written and directed by Chris Appelhans. It follows a determined teen named Din, voiced by YouTuber Jimmy Wong, who is longing to reconnect with his childhood best friend when he meets a wish-granting dragon named Long, voiced by John Cho, who shows him the magic of possibilities. The film also features the voices of Natasha Lou Bordizo as Lee Na, Dim's best friend, Constance Wu as Dim's mother, Will Yun Lee, Aaron Yu, Jimmy O. Yang, Bobby Lee, and Ronnie Chang. Sony Animation has made some great movies, whether it's Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which is kind of a surprising movie, or Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, or even the most recent film of theirs, The Mitchells vs. The Machines. They've also made some stinkers like the Emoji movie. But this is more middle ground. Like, this is basically an average film. I don't have much to say about this movie. It's actually co-produced by Jackie Chan, who voices Long in the Mandarin dub. This is basically a movie geared towards little kids. It's essentially a modern-day Chinese take on Aladdin. It kind of follows the similar beats of Aladdin where... Someone finds a lamp with the genie in it, or in this case, a wish dragon in a teapot. You get three wishes to grant. However, one of the rules states you cannot fall in love. You get the gist of it. I will say, though, this movie does have a nice, cute 10-minute opening. Where you get to see both Din and Lena as little kids. And how Din is kind of like, a, almost kind of like an outcast. No one comes to pick him up at school. Neither does Lena, and then they start to have this wonderful friendship, which is very cute and sweet. You then get to cut to 10 years later, where we see some familiar beats. Din is living with his mom on the poor side of town, while her friend, Lena, has become like an ultra celebrity. Like she's like a model, and she appears on this like giant billboard that for some reason Din likes to go up there and talk to every now and then. The animation is fine. There's nothing too stunning to look at. The voice acting is okay. Jimmy Wong is decent. John Cho is decent. There's just very little humor sprinkled throughout. Nothing to laugh out loud in my personal opinion. As I grow older, I realize not all animated movies will work in the same way that I grew up with. You will easily find mistakes along the way. And that's a little tough to bear. I don't know how you would put it that way. I found uh, Constance Wu's character as Dim's mother annoying. Again, I don't have much to say about this movie, but it's just one of those movies you would watch or stream once and then just forget about it within like a week. It's funny enough that I mentioned that it's now streaming on Netflix. But anyway, guys, I wouldn't bother too much about this. This is just average. It's just an average movie. Anyway, those are my thoughts on Wish Dragon, and now let's get to Holler. Holler is the feature film directorial debut of Nicole Regal, which is based off of the 2016 short film of the same name. Set in a forgotten pocket of southern Ohio where American manufacturing and opportunity are dying up, a determined young woman named Ruth Avery, played by Jessica Barden, finds a ticket out when she is accepted to college. Alongside her older brother Blaze, played by Gus Halpert, she joins a dangerous scrap metal crew in order to pay her way. Together they spend one brutal winter working the scrapyards during the day and stealing valuable metal from the once thriving factories at night. 
With her goal inside, Ruth finds that the ultimate cost for an education for a girl like her may be more than she bargained for, and she soon finds herself between a promising future and the family she would leave behind. The film also stars Austin Amelio, Grace Kaiser, Pamela Adlon, and Becky Ann Baker. So Jessica Barden is an English actress playing an American. She turns 29 years old next month and plays an 18-year-old in this movie, which is kind of baffling to think about. She gives a star-studded turn in this movie. I think she could be someone you could easily mistake her for, I don't know, like Natalia Dyer or Raffi Cassidy. But Jessica Barden, I think, has a career of like leading a movie in her future. It has this gritty, realistic narrative from Regal's script and direction with the character study as this main plot point. It is a film about the working lifestyle and its dangers up ahead. It's nicely shot. It's filmed on 16mm where you can see the nice little film grain for all you film nerds out there. The colors of the film, it feels dilapidated and just like sucks you into this world. There's also a nice supporting turn from Becky Ann Baker, who plays a worker at a local factory who is like close friends with their mother. The mother is played by Pamela Adlon, whose character is in rehab, and they visit her from time to time. I had some issues mainly with the character development overall. There are some characters that are just one note, like the brother has a girlfriend who shows up from time to time. She doesn't do much. There are also characters in this movie who, even though are vital to the story, I just straight up do not care for. Like the, the boss that works at this junkyard, this scrap metal junkyard, who uh, they then decide to turn to him to like get to like help make more money. You like know instantly he is like not one to be trusted as the story goes along. I mentioned Pamela Adlon, who plays the mother who's in rehab in the film. I think she was slightly miscast. She only appears in like two, three scenes. She adds very little to the story, in my personal opinion. There's some shaky camera work at times, mainly towards the opening. It just feels very dizzy. And by the end of the film, it just felt incomplete. Like you wanted to get more out of it, but it just suddenly ends there. I did fail to mention this is executive produced by Paul Feig, who's the director of Bridesmaids and The Heat and all those comedies. This is part of his new production company. Anyway, guys, Holler is now playing in select theaters and is on VOT. Those are my thoughts on it. And now let's get to The Amusement Park. The Amusement Park is a long-lost psychological horror thriller film from the late horror maestro George A. Romero, who's perhaps best known for his Of the Dead zombie franchise. He made films like Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead, even a found footage one called Diary of the Dead. But this is not one of his zombie films in general. The Amusement Park stars actor Lincoln Mazel as an elderly gentleman who goes for what he assumes will be an ordinary day at the Amusement Park, only to find himself in the middle of a hellish nightmare instead. The film also stars a number of extras entirely made up of volunteers. Originally produced in 1973, it was a film commissioned by the Lutheran Society of Western Pennsylvania as an educational video about elder abuse and ageism, but was refused to be released based on its disturbing content. 
It is also noted that this is Romero's only film he worked for hire. It was filmed at Westview Park in Westview, Pennsylvania, which closed its doors a few years after the film was produced. Originally believed to be lost, the film was discovered on a 16mm film print in 2017, sometime after Romero's death, and was given a digital 4K restoration by film preservation organization IndieCollect, and the film made its official premiere in 2019 in a retrospective of Romero's work at a film festival before being picked up by the horror streaming service Shudder. The film is only 54 minutes long, which by Academy Rule standards, if a film is over 40 minutes long in length, it is considered a feature film. And so, this film is being reviewed on this podcast. As for the film itself, it is a horror movie, but it's more of a psychological horror. It's not graphic like Romero's films or any other horror film you've seen. It's pretty tame in nature. There's just only a little bit of blood, but it's not like spewing anywhere or anything. They did say it was an educational film. And even though it is disturbing in like uh, what they assume the context is, I would probably agree it's disturbing upon uh, the subject matter of the film overall. It's an appalling look at elder abuse in general. It starts off with Mazel explaining to the audience about the film's subject matter and what it's going for it has the experimental style used by filmmakers like romero that was used in the 60s and 70s where it had quick cutaways close-ups and jarring sound effects that would make the audience feel disorienting and if that's not your thing then i would not fool you it has this interesting use of metaphors throughout like there's this one scene where they're riding bumper cars but then uh, they bump into um, an elderly couple and the elderly couple gets out of the bumper car and they talk about it like it's a fender bender. Like those little things are like very interesting. There are other stuff like a driver's license being revoked, poor health care service, the difference between rich class and the poor class, high levels of income on senior housing. Like there's a lot of reasons why. The, the opening of that movie will just like explain it all. But for the most part, we're mainly watching this elderly man's deterioration of his experience at the amusement park. And by the end, you just feel sorry for him. If I were to rate this as a film and not just an educational film, it's kind of a powerful, haunting, and even depressing film overall. It's only 54 minutes long and it's only 54 minutes long, and for it only being that long, it's not that bad. Had it gone on for like another 20 minutes, I would have given up at that point. The qualms that I would have with this film is that mainly because of its style, of how this was not seen for a very long time. You can easily tell there are some scenes that don't 100% work. There are, There's one scene where he's like being chased down by like a bunch of people. You can see from like a shot he hides and then all the other people who are like this who are like i don't know a couple feet close to him they just like all all like run away in the other direction trying to still find this guy like stuff like that is pretty outdated by today's standards overall as a film it's i i would say it's fine in general i don't think it's a great movie by all means but as a little final film if you want to call it that from one of the greatest horror directors of all time. 
And for a film that is only less than an hour, it's just a breeze. Like, you could just watch it and then, I don't know, fold laundry or something. Anyway, guys, those are my thoughts on The Amusement Park. It is now streaming on the horror streaming service Shudder, spelled S-H-U-D-D-R. That's it for the reviews of the new releases, and now let's round them up. All right, guys, here's how I grade my movies. If I give it somewhere between a 0 to a 5, I would just would not bother. If I give it somewhere like a 5.1 to like a 5.9, it's just it's middle, down on the road, average, I would say. Somewhere between a 6 to a 6.9, it's, it's like, okay, it's all right, it's fine in general. If I give it somewhere between a 7 to a 7.9, it's like a really solid recommendation. Like, it's good, but it's like not great. If I give a movie somewhere between an 8 all, all the way up to, I don't know, a 10, I would say. Actually, no, I would consider it 8.1 up to 10. Then it's a high worthy recommendation from me. And with that, the amusement park, I would give it a solid 7. Again, there are some filmmaking aspects that feel outdated to today's standards, but it is an affecting horror movie about elder abuse, and I kind of enjoyed it. In fact, this is my first Romero film, to be honest. I still need to catch up on some of my horror movie knowledge, if I want to call it that. Anyway, a solid 7 for the amusement park. Holler, I would probably give it like a six and a half. It's mostly fine for what it is. I, I just don't care about the character situations too much. I still think it's an intriguing story overall. It's Again, it's just those uh, characters that I just do not care for, and I believe Pamela Adlon was highly miscast in it. Again, a six and a half for Holler. Witch Dragon, it's just a five out of ten. I did fail to mention that there is a backstory of John Cho's uh, Long and his character. And I wish that was about the movie was about his character more than about uh, the main kid overall. Anyway, Wish Dragon is just a solid five. Infinite, oh my goodness. I would give Infinite a two out of ten. Definitely one of the worst movies that I've seen in a very, very long time. It could have been something else, but obviously it didn't. And then last but certainly not least, In the Heights, I would give this a very high rating. Not not a 10 because of my issues that I had with it earlier. But, but overall, I would give it a 9.4 out of 10. I also did fail to mention... Uh, I also liked the character of Sonny, played by Gregory Diaz IV, and how his backstory of how he's like this undocumented immigrant, and then you get to see his backstory unfolding as well. There's also this one brief scene where there's this politician that comes out and protests or something like that. I heard some people complained about that. That part didn't bother me too much. Again, most of the parts that I nitpicked, they'll be overlooked within the time coming. That is it for the review roundup this week, and now let's end this episode. And thus concludes this week's episode of Film Etc. Thank you all so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe and follow on the many places that we stream, including Spotify, Apple, Google, you name it. 
please leave a five-star review. That'll help us get to the top of the charts. And please share and tell your friends all about this podcast. I would love to see where this show goes down the road. Next week, guys, I am reviewing the new Pixar film, Luca, which will only be on Disney+, Plus, which is a shame, as well as the new documentary, The Sparks Brothers, which is directed by one of my favorite filmmakers of all time, Edgar Wright. I can't wait to tell you guys all about it. As always, guys, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at RealMikeWeb. You can, once again, follow the show on Instagram at FilmETCCast. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe, wash your hands, and until next time, I'll see you all at the cinema.